0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Last week, we started a conversation about identity. Looking for an answer to that question, a question that everyone must ask themselves, who am I? And we learned last week in our sermon with Pastor Borman that that as weird or as odd or as out of place as we sometimes may feel, we have been made holy and completely sufficient through our connection with our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, has rooted us into Jesus Christ and through that he has made us sufficient. He's made us matter. He's made us count. He's made us something that we were not before. And he did that not only by subtracting our sins from us, taking our sins away and placing them on Jesus, but by adding to us the very righteousness of Jesus, our Savior, so that now in Jesus we are something that we were not before. We said that this sermon series a congregation of misfits is going to be a series that's about you learning who we are, what it is that we do, but before we get to the what we do part, before we get to the to the fruits, we had to take a look at where it is that we're planted. Who it is that we're anchored into. We have to first identify our roots which is Jesus. Jesus to whom God has bound us, into whom Jesus has grafted us so that now as we grow from that foundation in Jesus, we're able to now start to see the fruits that God is going to bring forth through that. So roots before fruits, identity before purpose. Roots and fruits is, is the plant Analogy that God loves to use throughout the Scriptures. There there are so many different passages where he uses this illustration of us being a plant that is growing up. But today we're going to take a look at another metaphor God loves to use. And it's this metaphor of Jesus Christ as being our solid rock, the rock upon which we stand. So the question we want to ask today as we think about Jesus as the rock what does that have to do with our identity? We'll look to St. Peter's letter to the church, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. You can follow along on your sermon handout, or you can follow along also on the screen. As you come to him, to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans... Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. This is the word of our God. Who are you? In a broad sense, as we think about this text, there are really just two answers to that question. I am either one who has rejected Jesus and cast him aside, or I am the one that is coming to him and being built up on him. The imagery with this rejecting a stone is one that maybe we're not all that familiar with. Although here in Milwaukee, we have a number of stone buildings. We're in a stone building right now. So imagine being the the master stone worker, the one who is charged with building a building out of stones. And he goes to the quarry, and he's making his selection. He's looking over the stones, and and determining which ones will fit into his building, which ones will be a part of what it is that he wants to build. And if there is one that he believes does not fit, it's a misfit, he takes that stone, he rejects it, he leaves it behind. That's the picture Peter's painting for us of what so many have done with Jesus. They take Jesus. They look at him. They examine him they consider his teachings and then as they think about their life how they want to live what they want to build they say I don't see how Jesus fits into that and he's rejected and he's cast to the side and if I say that many people have done that then I think it's easy and comfortable for all of us here to go yes yes they have what a shame What a shame the way the world does that. But can I make it a little bit more personal and ask if you and I have not done that also? Is it fair to say that we've done the exact same thing that despite all that our God has done for us, despite love for us, the depths of which we can't even explain, can't even fully describe with our own words, that we still, we take the expressed will of our God, what he would have us do with our lives, and so often we take it and we reject it and we cast it aside. Isn't every single one of our sinful thoughts, our sinful words, the sinful actions that we carry out, isn't every single one of those a rejection in that moment of Jesus our God, our Savior. I don't think there's a single one of you here who would stand up in your pew and say, I reject Jesus as my Savior. It goes against who we are. It goes against what we believe. But if that's what we're expressing through the sinful words we speak and through the sinful things that we do, then what does that have to say about just how little we so often think about the full implications of our words and actions? That we would turn against and rebel against the very God who saved us. But I'll take you back in the lesson to verse 7. That this stone is precious, I'm sorry, in verse 6, where God tells us in Scripture, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, so that the one who trusts in him may never be put to shame. It is the very stone that we so often through our sinful words and thoughts and actions reject, Onto which God places us, so that we need not be ashamed of our sins, but so that those sins can be taken away. You see, we might be tempted to think that if, on the one hand, we have those who reject Jesus as their cornerstone, that in the other hand, we would find all those people who willingly come to Jesus and, and pick him up and gladly accept him to be the cornerstone. But then we'd be wrong. Because if you look at verse 5, who is it that is the one who is accepting Jesus? Verse 4. I'm really bad with my numbers this morning. In verse 4, what does it say? The living stone rejected by humans, not just many humans, not just some humans, but all humans, was chosen by God and precious to him. It's God who appointed Jesus to be the cornerstone upon which all other stones in his house would be built up. It's God who chose Jesus to be the capstone without whom none of the rest of us would ever be able to stand. Jesus was chosen. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, it says Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world to be the one through whom those who have rejected him could be redeemed the one whose blood God would sprinkle on his people so that in him they would be able to have fellowship with God. And God has revealed to us now through his word that that is who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, the life, the living stone. And by God's grace, through the proclamation of that word of God, something miraculous has happened to you and to me. The metaphor shifts in our lesson from Peter where, where first we were the builders who were rejecting Jesus and casting him aside. All of a sudden now the metaphor turns a corner and Peter says we are like the living stones that are being built up on the foundation of Jesus. No longer those who reject him. God has made us something new. He has made us a part of Jesus himself. And look at what It says, you, plural, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So, who are you? You are one stone, one part of a spiritual house that God is building. Earlier, I said that in a broad stroke sense, there's only two answers to that question who am I? Either you're the one, one who has rejected Jesus, or we're one who is being built up upon him. But if we zoom in now onto all of those who are being built up onto Jesus, what is it that we're going to see? Can you guys go one more forward to this picture of a, a stone wall? We'll go one more past that. This is the kind of building that our God is describing to us here. And when you look at a stone wall like this, what is it that you see? It isn't just one kind of stone that's used to build a wall. But as we look at the image of this stone wall, there are not two stones within it that are alike. If you went to Home Depot and got a truckload of bricks and brought it to me and asked for me to build you a wall, I think I could probably do it because every single one of them is exactly the same, and I can do the simple math to stack them up on top of each other. But if you brought me a truckload of these stones and poured it into my yard and said, please build a wall out of it, I don't know if I could do it. I'd look at the pile and I'd say, well, they're all misfits. They, they aren't square. They don't have flat edges. I, don't ima- I can't imagine how they could possibly all fit together into a wall. I can't, but it's clear from this picture that somebody could. There was some craftsman with enough skill to fit each and every one of those pieces together into a wall. So what's my point here? If you come into a congregation of believers gathered around God's word, one, for example, like ours here at Mount Lebanon, and you look around and you think to yourself, I'm not like a single other person here. I don't think there's any way that I could ever fit. Friend, your God, our God, is better at fitting people together than the craftsman who built this wall is at piecing stones together. So in the church of God, there are no misfits. In God's house, every stone fits. So do you. Not only do we fit together That union of our fitting together binds us together and then drives us down to that foundation, to the cornerstone that is Jesus. So that each and every one of us helps to hold all the rest of us to Jesus and connect us to him. So who are you? Who am I? I think the answer, friends, is that you and I are somewhat like Lego bricks. I know these are small. You can probably hardly see them. But I think most of you know what Legos are. A set of Legos is a pretty cool gift. As you get to go through the process of putting those bricks together and, and following the directions perhaps and then winding up with this wonderful thing that all of these pieces come together and form. A set of Legos is a neat gift, but a single Lego is kind of a lame toy. And that's a picture I think we can apply to ourselves as Christians. When we come together, when our God brings us together, as he does here, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, then we are being built up together into something that's pretty cool. But if we try to do this life as Christians on our own, then we wind up being something like a Lego brick that's all by itself, which is to say, not a whole lot, but in Christ, brought together in Christ, built up on Christ, we have the potential to be so much more. What is it that makes us better together? Look at what Peter says we've become. He says we're a spiritual house, which means we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, that together With Jesus as our foundation, we are God's house, his dwelling place on earth. What does that mean? It means that as people see us being built together, as they see what we are able to become as a Christian congregation, they are seeing God through you. They are seeing the love of Jesus through you. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun to us, we are. God's house are reflecting God to the people of this world. How? By doing what do we reflect that? Is it just by sitting here? No, it's it's more than that. And Peter takes the metaphor and he shifts it once again. First, we were the builders rejecting Jesus, casting him aside, but then through the miracle of God's grace, he transformed us into living stones being built up on Jesus, built up into his house. And now Peter says, look, what we also are, the priests inside that temple who are doing God's work. Pastor Borman is going to talk more to us about this concept of us being this priesthood, the priesthood of all believers So I won't get too much into that except to say, what does he say the purpose of these priests is? He says, namely, it is to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. What are the spiritual sacrifices that you and I, as part of God's temple, are able to bring before him that are acceptable in his sight? I think if we had the time, we could go on listing one thing after another that we, through Christ, are able to do that is pleasing in the sight of our God. I want to focus in on four of those sacrifices, though, four that I've found looking through other scriptures where God specifically says, here is a sacrifice acceptable in my sight. First, we go to Hebrews chapter 13. The author of Hebrews writes, Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So first we have our our praise, our proclamation of who God is and what it is that he has done for us. Now, I can praise God on my own at home, And I often do, but it is nowhere near as fun and as awesome and amazing as when I'm able to praise God here together with all of you. My singing in the shower is completely different than our singing here together as we join our voices together and lift up our voices together in praise. And so as we bring our praise to God, as we're able to proclaim him to one another, as God brings us here, he's building us together into that living church. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. He's thanking them for an offering that they brought together, an offering that was designed to support him in his ministry. And and this is what he said. I have received the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. If you or I were to try and do this, this Jesus thing, this Christian thing, all on our own, you've got a nine-to-five job, you have a family perhaps whom you're caring for and trying to raise— You have all of the other different components that come into your life. After all of that is said and done, how much time and energy are you going to have left to do the work of God of spreading His his gospel throughout the kingdom? But when we come together and, and we pool our giving together, our giving of our financial gifts, our giving of our time and our energy and all of our resources, Look at what we are able to accomplish together. We have over a dozen people in our congregation who have been called by all of us here to, as they are supported by us, carry out that work of the gospel. And that work is then added to by all of the time and energy and resources that all the rest of us are pouring into it also. And God has done amazing things through Mount Lebanon. And then Mount Lebanon takes what we have from our budget, and we pool together with all of the other churches in our synod, so that together with God's people, we're able to take the gospel and send it across oceans, around the world, so that every corner of this earth, God's word can be proclaimed, and we're able to support the work of our schools so that future teachers and pastors can be raised up to continue the work and expand the work that's going on right now. Our giving is an acceptable sacrifice to our God and it's able to accomplish so much more when we are built together on Christ than if we all were trying to do it on our own. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 3, St. John saw a vision of an angel taking the prayers of God's people and laying them on the golden altar in front of the throne of God in heaven. When there's a need, whether it's some, a need I have or a need that you have, we have access to God through Jesus to go to him in prayer and to ask him in his mercy to meet that need and fill it. And you could do that on your own. I could do that on my own. But why not, when I have the opportunity, share that need with my brothers and sisters in Christ, these fellow stones that God is building into his temple, so that together we can bury the golden altar of God in heaven? with our prayers on behalf of one another. Those prayers that he places on his altar because they are a sacrifice of our time, our energy, our care and concern for one another that is beloved in his sight. Finally, in Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, "...I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices." holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So for the God who has made us alive in Christ, has made us living stones built into Christ, we offer our lives as a sacrifice. Or maybe it would be more fitting to say we offer our living as a sacrifice because you could only ever give your life once for God. You could only die for God once. But you can live for Him every single day, every single moment. We live our life for Christ. And as we do that once again together, that life that we live will be far more richer when we do it with the brothers and sisters that he has connected us to through Jesus. So who are you? You are a stone who once was dead but has been made alive through Christ our Savior. You're a living stone who is built up on the foundation of Christ and his word together with the saints that you see around you in this room and so many more throughout this world. You fit here because the master creator, the God who created you in the first place is also the God who has brought you together with these people in this place and at this time and who is a master at crafting people together to form his building, the church. And he's done that so that you might be priests in his temple offering our sacrifices of praise, and of giving, of prayer, and of living together with God's people both in this life and then one day in eternity. Dear friends, that is who you are. Amen? Amen.